Welcome to Commune, a global wellness community and online course platform featuring some of the world's greatest teachers. We are on a mission to inspire, heal, pass down wisdom, and bring the world closer together. This is the Commune podcast, where each week we explore the ideas and practices that help us live this healthy, connected, and purpose-filled life. You can check out our courses, our community, and everything we do at onecommune.com. Over the past couple of months, we've talked a lot about addiction on the show. I certainly have a new understanding of the word, largely thanks to my conversations with Russell Brand. We tend to associate that word addiction with acute drug or alcohol misuse. But understood more broadly, addiction can relate to a myriad of unhealthy attachments, external agents that we seek out in search of wholeness and happiness. Often, these habits are insidious and by extension are harder to address. They are not going to kill you, but they will keep you limping through life. Even if you're not in acute addiction, why do we use alcohol in every social setting from weddings to funerals, from celebrations to times of sadness? Why do we need this external agent to lubricate our connection with one another? For me, I've often relied on a drink as a means to address my social anxiety, to loosen me up, to overcome an innate introversion. And now, as I look at it more closely, I ask the question, why do I need this? Do I lack the self-esteem and confidence to just be my authentic self? Do I constantly need to fit in, to alter who I am in order to be accepted? These are some of the questions Ruby Warrington addresses on the show today and in her newest book, Sober Curious. This book applies a non-dogmatic approach to sobriety, one that pokes at the roots of what our society might refer to as functional alcoholism. I like Ruby's approach because it's not black and white. It's just conscious, and so many of our behaviors around alcohol are not. She even explores the legitimate use of alcohol at certain times. Ruby is a journalist, a public speaker, and the founder of The Numinous, a website exploring the panoply of wellness and spiritual modalities of the now age. My name is Jeff Krasno, and welcome to Commune. So my name is Ruby Warrington. And I'm an author. That's what I call myself these days. <laughs> <laughs> and you're, well, you're more than that. You have your, you have the numinous. You're mm -hmm. an event promoter. Mm -hmm. You are okay, you're yeah, a journalist. A you're a speaker. I lead retreats. I'm a journalist. Yes, mm. all of these things. I'm a, a disseminator of ideas. And mm. yeah, I guess. <laughs> a collector and a disseminator. Hmm. And so most recently, you wrote a book called Sober Curious, mm -hmm. and I am curious myself on what led you to write that book. What mm. was your kind of human experience that led up to it, and what are the principal concepts in it, and then we'll unpack that a bit. Yeah, sure. So Sober Curious um, was the terminology I came up with to describe my own evolving relationship with alcohol, 
came up with that term about four years ago and started using it um, to describe that journey that I'd been on, which is probably about a 10-year journey at this point. Um, It was only sort of five, six years in that it felt like something I wanted to start speaking about openly with other people um, because I had questions that were deeper and bigger than I was able to answer by that point I guess and it felt like opening up the conversation and just seeing if anybody else felt the same way that I did would be really helpful and it turned out a lot of people did so I'll backtrack a little bit I'm from the UK as you can hear and many people know that there's a really boozy kind of drinking culture in in the UK you mentioned I have a background in journalism which is a you know within that even media is a very kind of like alcohol soaked sort of um, area Um, so in my 20s and early 30s I really I became a pretty heavy social drinker and it's very much interwoven with my um, career progression it really helped me kind of like get up the career ladder to be at the right parties networking with the right people exactly exactly Um, but I kind of got to a point um, where I was going through a period of real extreme anxiety Um, A lot of it work-related. I was in a really high-pressure role at that point, high-status, high-pressure role. And I found it it was this anxiety I was experiencing was really exacerbated any time I drank. And Mm. on the flip side, I was possibly drinking a bit more to kind of relax harder or switch off harder when I could, if that makes sense. And I began to really question, even though I wouldn't have described my drinking as alcoholic drinking or what I thought of at that point as alcoholic drinking, which, you know, the image that we have of an alcoholic is like somebody who needs a drink as soon as they wake up in the morning, is drinking every day, is regularly blacking out and has had some dire life consequences. None of these things were occurring in my life. Um, and yet I, it became harder to ignore the fact that, al- that alcohol was actually having an a more of a negative impact on my overall well-being than any of the kind of benefits I thought I was getting from it, which were, you know, relaxation, social, socializing, etc. And so I began to question, like, how is, why am I using this substance? And why is it kind of expected of me to use this substance? And why are there certain situations when it feels like if I don't use this substance, I've kind of ruined everybody else's night. Like all of these things, right? Yeah. As soon as you step out of what I now have come to term our dominant drinking paradigm, it's like everything becomes illuminated and like, whoa, hold on. There's so many unspoken agreements that we kind of signed up for when it comes to drinking without question. Yeah, well, it's also you look at, I guess, the cultural piece of it where it's essentially applicable to any situation and even the flip side of it, like, I got this great promotion. Let's have a drink. Totally. Like, I got fired. Let's, let's have, have a drink. drink. <laughs> like, you know, like, I had a baby. <laughs> yeah. Let's have a drink. Exactly. Oh, my grandfather died. Oh, we need a drink. Essentially, it has become the go-to panacea for just any, any. anything. And it's often, if you're a quote-unquote normal drinker, who hasn't experienced the kind of problems that might be deemed a rock bottom, which would take someone mm. to a recovery program, you and there's not never at any there's never an opportunity to question, and so we're sort of blindly, I think, yeah, um, yeah continuing yeah. to participate. Yeah, I think this is the real important distinction, you know, from your work because obviously, um, alcohol use disorders 
and alcoholism, like acute alcoholism affects, you know, 20 million people just in this country. So severe at mm. huge scale. Mm. But I think maybe what you're addre- addressing is a bit more like insidious in a way, like you could limp through life as kind of a semi-functional regular drinker and just never address it. Mm. Right. Yeah, that's exactly it. That's a really good way. And I'm loving that even the languaging of just like limping through life and you're limping through life and maybe you're having an occasional panic attack and maybe you don't have any energy because you're not sleeping properly. And we never think maybe it's the alcohol because the media, the booze industry, like society in general, conditioning just tells us alcohol is the answer. Mm. If you're feeling shit, have a drink. (laughs) If you're feeling great, have a drink, as you said. So I began to question it and I... And I eventually came to term that questioning being sober, curious, you know, because I knew that I did. You're a fine journalist, Ruby. (laughs) (laughs) I do love, I do love some new terminology. You have quite a few of them. I do. (laughs) Um, And I, and I came up with that term. I really thought like, what other area of life are we allowed shades of gray? And I thought about sexuality and that now quite outdated term by curious, like, <laughs> you know, where someone's kind of, hmm, I'm not exactly sure which side of the fence I fall on here. Maybe I'm going to allow myself some wiggle room, some experimentation and some curiosity and some questioning about what works for me. I think for so long we've had this very black and white polarized paradigm of like there are fucked up drinkers And there are normal drinkers and there's just nothing in between. And I think what's widely recognized now is that actually there are as many shades of gray as there are human beings in between. And that alcohol dependency, addiction can exist and show up in people's lives in so many different ways. And so being sober curious is really about, it's not really about saying this is right and this is wrong or moralizing about it, right? I'm not saying alcohol is bad and everyone needs to stop drinking. I'm not pro-prohibition. If anything, I'm pro-education like education and information. And what I'm really pro is each and every individual feeling so empowered and so okay and confident in trusting themselves and their own experience, their own lived experience, that they always know what's the right choice for them. Whilst with the caveat, when it comes to a substance like substance like alcohol, which is one of the five most addictive substances on the planet, mm. know the nature of the beast. Know what you are dealing with, right? Know that it's probably harder to maintain a perfectly neutral relationship to alcohol than it is to become dependent on some level, you know? Yeah. But we all just kind of intuitively know that alcohol is really bad for us mm. <laughs> and that the negatives far outweigh the positives, for all of us, like wherever we land, I think that's kind of a, a, a truth. Um, and although I, w- I will say not for everybody, because I do think that everybody's experience based on all sorts of things, based on genetics, based on biology, based on the community and the society that they're living in, based on their like their beliefs, based on their spiritual practice, all of these things can impact the degree to which a person may develop a dependence on alcohol, I think. Um but yeah, we all we all kind of know that it's not good for us. And I just am like, let's look at why we still engage then. Right. I think that's the the crux of it is, and I'll use myself as an example in this particular case, is that for many years in social situations, in order to feel less inhibited and more confident, I would 
have a drink to essentially lubricate my social ability and mm. to become less introverted. Mm-hmm. And that's probably not uncommon. It's, I would say it's very common. And then the question, if you can step back with some degree of awareness and then ask yourself, what is the root cause of that is essentially propelling that decision? Why am I not confident and comfortable in the first place to have a conversation with this person who might have stature at a party? Am I just not good enough? Do I not have the self-esteem? What is deficient about me that I need to essentially use this tool that I know doesn't serve me, mm-hmm. that makes me feel like crap, that doesn't, I can't sleep, fucks up my tummy, the whole thing. Mm. But I still make that choice because there's something about me that's oh. just not oh. comfortable. It's making me, it just makes me like so, I feel so tenderly for all of us when we're in that situation. It's almost like our deepest human need is to belong and to feel accepted and to, to feel included, mm. right? We have such a fear of being the outcast. It's very primal, right? Um, and yet, along the way, all of us learn there are parts of us that are not accepted, that are not okay. And we learn to shut them down and we learn to become ashamed of them and to not show them for fear of not being loved and not being accepted. Mm. And in my research for So Be Curious, I discovered there's a, there's a part of the brain is called the right temporoparietal junction. <laughs> wow. Yeah, try reading an audiobook and saying that multiple times in a hurry. Anyway, the right temporal junction yeah. is the part of our brain that specifically switches off the monitor like monitoring what other people think of us. So to think even about like why alcohol, it's it essentially it 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 stops us from monitoring how we're being received. So we do feel in that moment of drunkenness like it's okay to just be us and we'll be accepted just as we are because we're not kind of like hyper vigilant for like how are you perceiving me mm. so i think that's part of the appeal of alcohol um but then yeah exactly just thinking okay so that we can also zoom out then and go why do we live in our society with this extrovert ideal i quote susan kane's brilliant book quiet um the power of introverts in a world that st- can't stop talking <laughs> in sober curious and i was really looking at that like why are we why why are Ex, why is extroversion so celebrated and why are, why is it you can't trust the quiet ones i'm mm. super quiet and introverted and i'm probably one of the most trustworthy people i know do you know what i mean it's like we have there are so many layers at which you can look at something like that if my social anxiety is around like p- kind of performance anxiety why do i feel the need to perform this like self this extroverted party outgoing confident self when i'm not feeling that It is certainly true in our modern society that we are not comfortable with silence. We really are not. Um, So take that example of essentially someone that that, that suffers from some degree of self-confidence and relies on 
alcohol to some degree as a crutch. Mm. What are tools that can be utilized that essentially replaces that behavior that doesn't serve with with sometimes the same sort of effect the confidence the self-esteem but without the negative consequences again there are several ways to look at this and i think um the first one i mean i I talk again in the book about something i call the confidence paradox Mm. i too i'm super introverted bookish like I, I do really good. I love podcasts. I do really good, like one-to-one. Put me in a group and I'm kind of, uh, when's it my turn to speak? Like, you know, it's just awkward. <laughs> so there's something I talk about in the book called the confidence paradox. Mm-hmm. So like you and like many of us, I used alcohol as a way to feel more confident in social situations. And what I was thrilled, like people ask, what's the biggest benefit of being sober curious? And yeah, I could go to the sleep and yeah, I could go for the like, great digestion I could go for the clear skin and all those things are are kind of fun but like the biggest is just how much more confident I feel as a non-drinker and there was a clue actually I used to be you know really in the kind of nightclub scene in the UK as well and I would always kind of look at the the non-drinker in the room the non-drinker at two in the morning at the party and look at them like kind of envious like wow you're like you're like a rock star I kind of want that you know and what I've realized is that I was essentially teaching my brain from like age 14 which is when I first started drinking to fit in be popular etc I was teaching my brain that I needed alcohol for that to facilitate that confidence and so there's kind of like you know three decades worth of unconditioning around that to be done so yeah I discovered the more that I would kind of like feel the FOMA as I put it fear of missing alcohol feel the FOMA and do it anyway and sort of put myself in those situations I actually realized that being in a social situation with all of my faculties about me all of my mental clarity sharpness focus and not to mention all of my kind of like empathy and feeling senses and intuition about people and situations with full access to all of that I actually feel so much more confident in those situations what I don't find myself doing is hanging out anywhere that I don't feel comfortable if I'm like if I'm at a social situation and it feels awkward and and shit like I'll leave (laughs) whereas my old MO might have been like I'll have another couple of drinks to get into it and I just don't do that anymore and I think again having the 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 Seeing almost seeing that almost as kind of like um, an act, a practice of knowing my boundaries and setting boundaries about what is okay and what isn't okay and the spaces I feel okay in and the places I don't. Getting really good at putting those boundaries up is another confidence building exercise. So it's not exactly like the tool. The tool is the the not drinking, the feeling the FOMA and doing it anyway, and proving to yourself that you're actually way more confident than you have been led to believe. Right, and I'm sure. There's other techniques, meditation practices, yoga, other things that essentially you can utilize that have obviously a variety of benefits, but also yeah, psychological I mean, benefits. Exactly. For me, those techniques have been integral to me um, connecting to my intuition, for example. And when I say, I think when we think about intuition, people think very mental and heady. But for me, my intuition, and when I know I'm connected to my intuition, is like, how do I feel with this person? Does this person kind of like have my best interests at heart? I don't know if they do, in which case I'm not going to spend so much time with them. And I say, you know, yoga in particular has really helped with that practice because it's helped me feel my body. Like I can feel when my body's speaking to me through my yoga practice. And so now I'm kind of super attuned to like all the little 
pings and shivers and feelings that my body is constantly giving me about the situation I'm in and I'm able to act on them. The meditation um, is really helpful. As we know, you know, I'm saying we know like this and I'm sweeping my hand around <laughs> like your listeners here. Right. <laughs> As we know, <laughs> I mean, meditation is the number one practice really for just understanding that we are not our thoughts. We are not our emotions and that we always can find a place of stillness and confidence and trust behind or underneath or within all of that kind of chaos that our outside environment or external environment might be triggering in us. So the meditation practice, which has been pretty strong daily for me for about four or five years now, has just been really integral in terms of being able to listen to that inner voice, which doesn't always sound like a voice. Again, it's more like a feeling or just a knowing and trust it Mm. and take action on what it's actually telling me. Yeah. And what would you say for skeptics or two skeptics that might wonder if essentially life just becomes a bit sedentary and boring without (laughs) a bit of drink or you know is it possible to let loose and have fun without alcohol and then i'd follow that up and say does alcohol have any place any constructive place in having fun once in a while Mm, really good questions alcohol can provide very high highs and it brings very low lows in polarity to that right and I think for anyone um, contemplating no longer existing in that kind of roller coaster of emotion particularly if that's been your norm since you were a teenager or whenever it was you started drinking it, the, 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 the idea I suppose is that out, that life could become very monotonous and one note like the highs are worth it for the the lows are worth it for the highs right But what I realized and what I think many people experience when they remove the alcohol is that, yes, life kind of settles down to this um, a more stable cadence, I suppose. However, we realize what we've been missing is the incredibly subtle but way more sustainable ecstatic states. Like I find myself often just kind of walking down the street, that annoying person with a huge smile on my face and all my hair standing up on him because like the sky is so beautiful. And I'm just like, who knew I could feel so much? I think, you know, Brene Brown has a brilliant quote, you know, you can't selectively numb emotion, numb the dark and you numb the light. Mm. And while we've been feeding off these kind of um, synthetic man-made or muck highs <laughs> that we might get from alcohol and other substances and other behaviors, all sorts of things, right? Um, We're kind of ignoring or just like forgetting the fact that our body's actually really well equipped to bring us extreme states of pleasure when we are tapped into it and when we give ourselves the time. I think what I've, you know, we live in a very time-crunched society as well, increasingly time-crunched considering that the demands of um, technology now as well. Um, And so the idea of being able to turn on a high when when we want to feel good is really appealing. Mm. But it's just not sustainable and it's not real. And so, again, creating space to allow our body to just kind of like, I mean, my favorite high is the high of waking up without a hangover. And that that could sound so sort of basic and, again, like yawn. But (laughs) waking up feeling pleasurable and just warm and comfortable in my body every day, like that's, I'm never going to, I never want to give that up again. I mean, I now 
at this point in my path and it's been very much kind of backwards and forwards and experiments here and just bringing this conscious level of questioning to all of my alcohol experience I now choose abstinence as my preference because I really do believe another one of my favorite sayings the only thing you miss out on by not drinking is getting drunk yeah you think about that one for a while <laughs> but what I mean by that is like all I've identified all the things I was looking for in drinking and I have found other ways to access those states those experiences whatever it is so I actually mm -hmm. have zero need or desire for alcohol now in my life and that to me feels like very sustainable if if long-term sobriety and not using is the goal that process of questioning and conscious experimentation has actually led to an extremely sustainable sobriety for me i think um yeah yeah i will and i think i mean what we're seeing is i would say a generational efflorescence of um of this kind of behavior where essentially, you know, people are socializing without alcohol. Mm, and I mean, absolutely. to the point where, I don't know if you saw this, I'm sure you did because you're on top of this subject, but like Bud Light just launched a seltzer. <laughs> I did not see that. Or a club but, soda. Yeah, okay. And when, when you sense. have essentially Anheuser-Busch, who's last to the table generally when it comes <laughs> to dealing with alcohol um launching essentially an alternative that gets like marketed right there at the bar with the you know um yeah on the fountain you know next to mm. the draft beers or whatever mm. you know that says that like this is a moot there's something mm. here this is a real um there is a movement around seeking an alternative way to socialize and, and have fun and be together. Absolutely. And I think there are a few things playing into that. I do think that, I think that the way that we interact with technology now is literally rewiring our brains. Yeah. And alcohol is, as a substance, just is very incompatible with the way that we're expected to kind of show up and communicate and be in the world now, which you know there are two sides to that coin as well is it good that we feel the need to be on all the time and that we are you know we're we're operating in this kind of like productivity optimized mindset of like every moment has to be productive and I must always be like achieving you know that's very much enabled now and I I'm not pro that either you know and then I also think that the fact that marijuana is becoming so much more accessible and legalized in most in many places People are using, possibly using that. And prescription drug use is obviously through the roof. So people yeah. are using that. Like there are just, alcohol is kind of messy compared to a lot of the other substances or numbing substances that people have access to now. Yes, that is true. And while I would favor marijuana in general, um, in terms of its physiological and psychological effects, I still have skepticism and worry around the notion that we continue to try to address our happiness and solve our discontents through the consumption of things that are outside ourselves. Yes. And <laughs> me too, Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And uh and even though like, you know, we I live here in, in Los Angeles and essentially every other store now is a dispensary that, you know, for me, marijuana usage was like, I'm going to sneak behind the dumpster and like smoke a 
joint, you know, now you literally walk into and it's like the Apple store and some mm. young millennial woman with a nose ring comes out with an iPad and says, hello, Mr. Krasnow, how are you? Um, <laughs> so the experience is like completely different. Um, and, um, but I still worry about it and I'm concerned mm. about it. I have teenage daughters, mm. um, that essentially, you know, having fun, which is just really a way to say connection. Mm-hmm. And, is, and not working, like not feeling like you have to be proving or working or, yeah. Yeah. Is that there's always a, oh, well, I need this to feel whole. I need this to connect, mm. you know, s- this thing outside of me. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that's not good. No, it's not good. And it's, well, it's not good, I think, because it's not getting to the heart or the root of like those questions you brought up initially why do I feel it's it's so hard to relax why do I feel it's so hard to switch off and unwind why do I feel like I'm not accepted in this group of people and it's really only when we can start to look at those deeper whys I think that we can kind of begin to unravel our need and our reliance on the external things to kind of paper over the cracks. I mean, I've really identified a rampant workaholism since removing alcohol. And I really, I love the way you're nodding. You're like, oh, yes. yeah. <laughs> you know, I ah. totally know as much as the kind of introverted, more confidence thing, alcohol was the only way sometimes that I would switch. Could My body was going, you need to switch off from what? You need to get right. out of your inbox. Drink. It's the only way it could shut my brain down. So my practice around that has been getting comfortable with doing nothing, Mm. which I have so much resistance around that. I'm being lazy. I'm wasting time. I have so many ideas that need to get out into the world. But literally clearing a day in my calendar, which is probably usually Saturday for me, when I literally am barred from everything, I remove, like I delete my social media apps off my phone. I have office hours around Instagram. Yeah, It deletes off my phone. I've had to put those really clear kind of physical boundaries in and find other ways to relax. I mean, it was really interesting to notice how some of my, when I was really, you know, getting into, going through the weeds of like removing the substance, some of my strongest cravings would actually come up when I was feeling super like high already and super excited. And it was almost like I wanted something to bring me down because I had this abundance of kind of creative energy that just wanted to create and do and make things and there wasn't anything to put it in yeah you know yeah it's just very interesting to watch all of those the impulses right and it's often hard to remember that wisdom comes in the spaces Mm. creativity and imagination Mm -hmm. often comes in the spaces Mm -hmm. that we are so conditioned to push 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 to make the thing happen, if only this and only if this, then I will get to the next place that will then make me happy. Then I have to get to the next place. And of course, you know, that's a, a treadmill. Yeah. And that actually finding silence, space, serenity, contemplation, a hike, downtime, often in those moments is when the wisdom or the inspiration comes and Mm -hmm. but it is very hard to live with that awareness and and remember that um and so in some ways (laughs) we have to like create a a google cal yeah (laughs) for in order to 
help us absolutely um find that time that is just quiet and unscheduled exactly exactly because really i mean i i've been toy it's not going to be so i'll talk about it but i was putting together a a book proposal idea around the idea of success addiction and what you just described Mm. is that like and i was thinking about that term we use oh so and so made it i'm like made it where exactly made it where you know we 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 look to constantly be we were constantly kind of on the tail or chasing the tail of our next success because we have this idea that like achieve this thing get this thing make that thing and then I'll have made it and where have we made it to we've made it to a place where we don't need to work right where we're supported where we trust that we're just divinely supported for just being us that's what mm. we all ultimately are craving so how about we just choose that right now right. we could choose that any moment you know so last thing um I know for a good while you were organizing events, social events that mm. were essentially non-alcoholic. Mm-hmm. You're still doing that? No, I took a step back from that because I found myself becoming an event organizer, and I'm, that's not. I'm a I'm a writer, and I, I you know I like so now I'm I I I do retreats still. I love to go really deep with people, so I have a retreat coming up at Kripalu, a sober curious retreat, which is like two days when we get deep into some of. The, have loads Mm -hmm. of different exercises to help people get deep into answering some of these questions for themselves. Um, And I'm doing, I'm doing kind of appearances and events, but I'm not organizing events anymore. It's just not, that's fast track to burnout for me. (laughs) I know what that's like. Yeah, you do. Yes, Yes, this has led me down many unhealthy paths. (laughs) Right, exactly. And burnout, like when I'm in, I know when I'm in that burnt out state, I'm more likely to reach for some kind of a, what seems like it might be a quick fix to give me more energy or help me to relax or whatever it is I don't want to I don't want to go down those paths so I'm really part of the sober curious path has been about like what really serves me in terms of my professional life what really supports me so that I can do the work that I'm really here to do you know Mm. do you have to sort of disavow some of your old friendships and relationships when you take a sober curious or non-alcoholic path um oh it's more of a a gradual sort of evolving I suppose Mm. um I sort of feel like and you know this is a good I can tell you a bit about when it really kicked in for me my my sober curiosity really kicked in after I moved to the U.S. And so I kind of found myself, and it was around the time that I was launching the Numinous, and I was really getting very involved with this sort of modern spirituality scene. And I found myself just naturally socializing with people who were on this path that we've been discussing, who were more concerned with what can I find within me rather than what can I consume to make me feel better on the outside. Mm. And so there was a kind of a natural shift. And I think that you know, there's that saying that we're the average of the five people we spend the most time with. And I think that kind of works two ways. And when we are undergoing any kind of internal transformation, we start to just naturally attract different people on a different energetic frequency and the other relationships kind of just fade away. There's no need for it to be a big dramatic like Although in some right. situations, if you if there are people you know are like super triggering for you and if you're with them, you're going to want to drink, you may find yourself, can we meet for brunch or can we go for a hike instead? And then if there's nothing, if there's nothing in common on that hike and the spark's not there anymore, then you just kind of know. Right. This isn't for me going forward, you know. Yeah, there's a wonderful Wayne Dyer quote that I've come back to quite often. 
which is the angels we wish to attract into our lives will appear when they recognize themselves in us. Ugh. That's it. Yeah, that's and, my way more eloquent than what I just said. Well, I didn't say it originally. <laughs> I just barely remembered it. Uh, um, but that I do find that when I, and this could apply to any behavior, not just abstaining from alcohol, but I, when I find when I am consistently living from my highest principles, this is what I've come to feel is the authentic life, the life with integrity, is essentially living that your works and actions in this life are always aligned with your highest principles, regardless of external circumstances. Mm. So essentially, when I'm living from a place of kindness and compassion and forgiveness and charity, the people that naturally appear in my life are those people that are also living from those principles. Mm -hmm. And this isn't just some foofy law of attraction stuff, mm -hmm. although we can go there. <laughs> But it's really true mm. because essentially people that are like-minded are, are attracted to each other. Yeah. And I, I think that, you know, it wouldn't be a far jump to say living a sober, curious life helps you cultivate an ability to live from your highest principles. And then by extension, those angels appear into your life. Absolutely. It's beautifully put, Jeff. But yes, no, I <laughs> really God completely agree with you um, because I'll, you could you could put it in a really practical container as well. Sure. Right? When I choose to live from those principles and every choice that I make and everything I put in my calendar goes through that filter first, there's just a natural reprioritization repri mm. of who you're spending your time with and where you're putting your energy. And so the other stuff will just get crowded out by where you're focusing your, where you're literally spending your time and energy, you know? Yes. That's a very practical approach <laughs> to it. You're a very practical woman. <laughs> I've always admired that about you. Um, no, I think, um, well, you, I really appreciate you leading this movement because it, it needs, all movements need a leader. They need a messenger um, who is, charismatic and comes up with absolutely incredible wordplay <laughs> um and uh and it's really having an impact i hope you can feel the impact that it's having oh yeah i have a google alert set up for sober curious and there's like eight or nine mentions a day yeah. of that term you know and it's i think that for me, you know, there's been some kind of like a few comments here and there why does this need a term it's just like deciding not to drink and i'm like hmm People, you know, going back to the very beginning of our conversation, when I decided I wanted to start speaking openly about this, I had a real moment of like, why would anyone care? Like, this has been such a personal internal thing for me. Like, am I like, am I telling everyone, hey, you've all got a drinking problem, even though you don't know it doesn't like a drinking problem, but it is, trust me. Like, is this just really arrogant and like mm. super Aries of me? Like to think that everyone. Yeah, and judgmental and whatever. Right, yeah. exactly. And presumptuous. But. As soon as I started talking about it, it was as if I'd given a language to something that a lot of people have been thinking for a very long time, mm. often unconsciously. You yeah. know, it was like, oh, yeah, actually, yeah, that's exactly where I'm at. Yeah, and I, so, yeah. Yeah, I mean, movements, 
and ideas and big visions need language in order to mm. galvanize people's imagination. I've talked about this recently, but, you know, Kennedy wanted to put a man on the moon by the end of the decade. If he just said, well, we're going to put it, but he called that the new frontier. Mm. And because he called it that, he, he embodied something. He emboldened some language. It actually galvanized people to see something bigger mm-hmm. than themselves, mm. that they could feel part of something of a movement that was bigger than their own individual plights and in, in their own individual lives. And you know, um, and you know, you could make you know the New Deal, you the Great Society, mm-hmm. all of these other essentially movements that needed a name mm-hmm. to instill them with force and meaning and excitement so and i think think with this as well it's like it's given a common language that can actually encapsulate or speak to a multitude of very individual and unique experiences that are often rooted in feeling hunches intuition that don't necessarily Mm. have like people haven't even had the language to express and now they can just say i'm sober curious and it that's like enough you know (laughs) okay i love it I'm sober curious. I'm happy to hear it. I hope you're enjoying it. <laughs> <laughs> so far, so good. Yeah. Thank you, Ruby. It's so lovely to connect with you after a couple of years and mm-hmm. just see how both of our paths have evolved in kind of a parallel way. It's mm-hmm. beautiful. It's great. Thanks for having me on, Jeff. Yeah. Thank you for coming on. Thank you for listening to the show today with Ruby Warrington. I'm wondering if you're feeling just a little sober curious. If so, try going to the next cocktail party or event and just get a club soda with lime and see how it feels. For me, I'm finding that I'm more confident and more able to have interesting and engaged conversations. To learn more about Ruby, her books, lectures, and retreats, check out rubywarrington.com. That's it for today's show. We have a lot of mint growing here on the commune. In fact, it's a key part of our green retaining walls. So maybe a pot of mint tea is in order for this evening. But whatever beverage you have in mind or at hand, I hope you can put it down for a moment to hit that subscribe button or leave us a review. I'm Jeff Krasnow, and I'll see you next week.